Our scripture reading is Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at, the, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Lake Baldwin Church. Great to be with you guys this morning. And uh, you may know this, in August, uh, typically here at Lake Baldwin, uh, we do a a vision series, uh, engagement series on our vision. And so we're kicking that off today. We're going to be doing four sermons this month on the theme of loving community, loving community. This morning we're gonna have a message about the foundation of loving community, and then next week we're gonna look at the marks of loving community, and then Bruce Wilson's gonna bring a message about the mission of loving community, and we're gonna wrap it up with a message about the goal of loving community. Now, you may know this, that loving community is a core value here at Lake Baldwin Church, but I wanna kinda refresh to you uh, the words behind that value. So I want us to recite this together. It's gonna be up on the screen. Uh, Here are the words that define what we mean when we say by loving community. So let's read this together. We believe that God grows us primarily in the context of our relationships. Therefore, we value deep, genuine community with one another. We believe that the church is called to be a counterculture marked by love and unity in the midst of a world marked by competition and division. Well, when I was growing up, uh, I grew up in Miami, Florida, and I was very young, and we moved for the very very first time, we moved to this strange place called Sarasota on the West Coast. And it was strange to me because I was a young boy and I didn't have any friends there, but I had great 
aspirations. Because if you know anything about me, I love all sorts of sports. And for the first time, I wanted to join a sports team, okay? And so I talked to my mom and dad about it, and they agreed, now's the time for you to join a sports team. So they signed me up for baseball. And the unfortunate thing about this story is, is I got to the team a little bit late. I was a couple weeks late in the uh, registration. And so when it was time for me to get my uniform, I only got a jersey. And of course, for kids, the uniform is everything. I didn't have those cool pants, the cool socks, and I didn't have the one thing that I really, really wanted, and that was the coveted baseball hat. And so if you know something about me, you know that my closet used to be full of baseball hats. I mean, I just collected them, uh, but actually when we moved, I got rid of a whole bunch of them, and my wife is probably happy about that. But I love baseball hats. And for me, not having that hat meant I was an outsider to the team, right? The team's running onto the field, everybody has the hat, and who's that guy without the hat? Well, that was, that was me, okay? So weeks would go by, and I would ask the coach, you know, coach, am I gonna get a hat this week? And he would say, no, not this week. And then finally, one week I went up to him, and he could tell what was gonna happen, so he, he preempted it and said, you know, Brian, we've already placed the order, uh, there's not gonna be a hat for you. And so I really felt like an outsider. My face must have fallen in front of him. And I'm never gonna forget this, what Coach did next. This is what he did. He took off his team hat, he adjusted the strap, and he put it on my head. And instantly when he did that, I felt like I had moved from being an outsider to the team, like now I am an insider to the team. But it happened because the coach gave up something so that I could be brought in. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, and we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at something very similar. What is it like to be outside of the loving community? Then we're going to look at this question, how do we actually get into loving community? And then we're going to close with what is it like once we're in loving community, okay? And so we're going to explore those three things this morning. But before we do... Let's take just a moment and bow our heads, ask for God's blessing on this special time. Heavenly Father, it's what a privilege to be here to worship you, our great God, because no one else is, is worthy of all of our praises. What a privilege that we get to participate in declaring your praise and not consuming and not just spectating, but being a part of worshiping you. And what a privilege it is that we have your word this morning, that we get to hear your word, and we pray that it's your word that we actually hear this morning. And so would you please open our hearts to you, our eyes and our ears, that we may receive all that you have for us this morning. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. And so to orient you to this passage of scripture, I wanna do it this way. I wanna look at that very first verse, verse 11. And in doing so, I want to orient you by focusing on three different words. And those words are therefore, remember, and Gentiles. So let me read this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Therefore, if you are a student of the Bible, you know that when you encounter that word, you need to stop and take a moment and reflect on what has come before. 
And so we're one and a half chapters into the book of Ephesians, and I want to summarize what has come before. Paul has been explaining this wonderful truth about our union with Christ, or what it means to be in him, what it means to be in Christ. And he says all of these wonderful things, that we have an inheritance, that we have redemption through his blood, that we have every spiritual blessing, everything that we have is in Christ, and that we have salvation in him by grace through faith. And so it's upon this great principle, our union with Christ, that we're going to launch into this next section of Scripture. So you're going to want to tuck that truth into your back pocket and think about it as we unpack the rest. That next word, remember, is important because it's our first call to action. It's our first imperative verb in the book of Ephesians that we're going to run into. And so some of you are very practical-minded. You, you want to engage. You want something to do. And here it is. You are to remember. And you guys are like, yawn. You know, I think I've got this. Uh, but I want to stress to you how important it is for us to remember. If we look at the life of the people of Israel, probably their main issue, their main failure was a failure to remember. And it's a failure to remember God's covenant promises to them. It's a failure to remember all that God had done in redeeming them from Egypt. And so we need to remember, we need to see how important it is that we remind ourselves of gospel truths. The Gentiles here in verse 11, they were to remember that they were outsiders. They didn't have that baseball cap. They were outsiders. Now, this third word, Gentiles, I'm not going to assume that everyone knows what this means, but to simplify it for you, there were the Jews, the nation of Israel, and then there were everyone else. So if you were outside of the nation of Israel, you were a Gentile. And this is what I want you to get from this. The Jews and the Gentiles, they were culturally far apart. They were radically different. They ate different things. Who and how they worshiped was different. They dressed differently. Everything was different about them. And especially what we see in this verse, they had the mark of circumcision. Okay? They had the mark of circumcision. So there was a great difference between a Jew and a Gentile. And the Gentiles were to remember that they were outsiders. So let's look at this very first point. Being an outsider to the loving community. We see this in Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, there's three things about this portion of scripture that I want you to see what it's like to be an outsider. I want you to see that if you're an outsider, you're not a citizen, you're not a citizen. Secondly, you are without hope. You have no hope and you are without God in this world. And then finally, that you are separated from Christ. And so let's look at that very first point. Being an outsider means you are not a citizen. That's what Paul is saying when he says you're alienated. You Gentiles, you're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That commonwealth is politeia. That's a group of people that have been founded and formed upon some kind of agreement or some kind of laws. And here we have the nation of Israel. They are founded upon what? 
God's covenant promise. And if you're taking notes, you may want to jot down this scripture reference. We're not going to turn there. But Genesis chapter 12 is a key uh, chapter in the life of Israel. This was really where the nation of Israel was founded because there we see that God says to Abraham that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed, and in you I am going to make a great nation. That's the promise that he made to Abraham. And so being a Gentile was to be outside of the promise. Being a Gentile was to be outside of the, the blessing of God. Okay? And so I think most of us here today know what it's like to not be a citizen. We here, being in America, we see this on the news. People are flocking to our shores every day. And why is that? Why is it? Because there are benefits. There are privileges. There are blessings to being a citizen, okay? And so Paul is saying to the Gentiles, you have no part in the blessings of God. You have no part in the promise. And so that's the first thing of being an outsider. Secondly, you have no hope, and you're without God in the world. Now, this would have rung in the ears of the Ephesians because why is that? Their culture, they had something interesting there back at that time. They had a temple to the goddess Artemis, okay? And so to be outside of the nation of Israel was to be out there and worshiping the pagan gods, the false gods. You see, they did not have access to the one true God. And to be without God is to be without hope. Back in 2005, there was a very interesting interview. Uh, CBS did this interview with Tom Brady. You guys know, know him. He's a pretty famous guy. And in 2005, he had three Super Bowl rings, okay? Imagine that. Three Super Bowl rings and married to a supermodel, wealthy, famous. And here's the interesting thing that he says in that interview. He's recounting all his successes, but you can tell he is searching. He says this. There's got to be more than this. What else is there for me? In the interview, the interviewer asked the question, well, what's the answer to that? And he says, I don't know. I don't know. It's a sad thing. Now he has seven Super Bowl rings, and I think probably with each Super Bowl ring, he realizes I haven't found that answer yet. And so maybe you're here this morning as well, and maybe you've had success. Maybe you are accumulating things, wealth, possessions, and you're finding as you do that, the more you accumulate, you realize you're not free. The more you accumulate, you're wondering to yourself, is there more than just this? Or maybe you've come this morning, and, and, and you're, you're not going that road at all, but you've been walking a very terrible road. You've been going through trial and suffering, and you're saying, I hope there is more than just this. Well, I'm gonna give you a peek at the good news. The, there, the good news is that there is more than just this. There is more than just this, and it's found in the person of Jesus. Everything that you are looking for is found in the person of Christ. And so thirdly, Thirdly, if you are not a citizen, you are separated from Christ. And this really is the ultimate death knell, if you will. 
You are separated from Christ. And why do I say this is the ultimate? Because the greatest promise of God, the greatest blessing of God is found in his son, Jesus. And so to be separated from Christ is to be separated from the greatest promise of God. He is the one that when God spoke to Abraham and said, in you, all the families of the earth will find their blessing, he is talking about Christ. And in Genesis, after the fall, when it talks about there will be an offspring to crush the head of the serpent, he's talking about Christ. And when in scripture it talks about one who will sit upon the throne of David and reign forever, that's Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And if you are a Gentile, you are separated from the most important promise of God, and that is Christ. Because in him, if you are in union with Christ, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have hope that goes beyond the grave. You have freedom, right? And I think of Paul, I think of uh, Tom Brady and think, does he have freedom? The more he gets, is he becoming more trapped or is he becoming more free? In Christ, we have true freedom. We have joy. We have peace. We have everything that we are really looking for. Well, let's look at now how is it that we are brought into loving community. We see this in verse 13 and verse 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And, in, and then in verse 16 it says, and might reconcile us both to God. He's talking about Jesus. In one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now I want you guys to realize that, that word, have, those words have been brought, have been brought. It's actually one word in the Greek, um, and it's in the passive voice. And that's just a fancy way of saying that we are not doing the acting. We are actually being acted upon. And so what does that mean? It means that we are being brought to Christ, not we are bringing ourselves to Christ. Someone is bringing us to Christ, and that's God himself. And earlier in chapter 2, in the very beginning, Paul says this, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We were dead. But the wonderful thing a couple of verses later he's going to say is, but God, but God, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, he makes us alive together in Christ. And so we don't bring ourselves to God. He brings us to himself. And I'm wondering, maybe this is a new concept for you. Maybe this is something that you've never heard of before because from your perspective, You've examined all the evidence, you've started to read the Bible, and you say, you know what, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. And so it does, from our perspective, seem like we are making that choice to follow Jesus, but our scripture is saying, no, God went beforehand and made you alive. He gave you a new heart. He gave you eyes to see and ears to understand this good news that we are talking about. He's the one that makes you alive in him. And so how are we brought into loving community? And our scripture says we're brought into loving community by his blood, his blood, the shed blood of Christ. And so you may have come in this morning and you're hearing me talk about loving community. 
And, and I say this thing that it's blood that brings us into this community. And you're thinking, wow, what kind of cult did I just walk into this morning? Uh, I've got a funny story for you. Uh, one of the pastors at my past church, a good friend, he's no longer there. Um, he had some neighbors move in across the street from him, and he wanted to meet them. So he goes over to their garage and strikes up this conversation, and they're talking, and they find out he's a pastor. And not only that, he's a pastor of the church just right down a couple blocks away. And so my friend, you know, in, in only the way that he could do it, he says this to them as they're asking, well, what's this church thing about? And he says, well, we, we believe in a blood sacrifice for sins. And their eyes are getting really wide, and they're like, and he's like, yeah, isn't that a strange thing? And they're like, yeah, that's a strange thing. Well, it's nice to meet you guys, <laughs> right? So... But that's actually what we believe. We believe in a blood sacrifice for sins. The author to the Hebrews says it this way, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And in Romans chapter six, verse 23, the first part says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Forgiveness is something that is costly. Because we have chosen to live life on our own, to go our own way, to live life on our own terms and violate God's principles and his laws, we are deserving of death. And so the penalty for our sins is death. It's represented in the shedding of blood. Now I say that forgiveness is costly and I, I'm hoping that most of you guys can understand that intuitively. You know this, right? Maybe you've had a friend, uh, and you guys were having a conversation, and your friend had a, a super bad day. And what do they do? They just, they say some mean and nasty things to you. And so you walk away hurt, and you're thinking about it for a number of days, and you've, you've come to the realization, you know what, I love my friend, I wanna restore that relationship. But in order to do that, in order to restore the relationship and not hold that offense against them, what do you have to do? You have to absorb, you have to take in the pain. Forgiveness is something costly, and it costs nothing short of the blood of God's dear son for us to be brought into loving community with him. Well, if you're here this morning and you're, you're hearing all this and you're saying, you know what, I would like forgiveness of my sins. I realize I have offended God, so how, what do I do? Well, I wanna show you the wonderful second half of Romans chapter six, verse 23. The first half says the wages of sin is death, but the second half says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a free gift, and how do you receive a free gift? With open arms, with open heart. How did I receive the gift of the hat from the coach. I just put out my hand and, and I put that thing on, right? You don't have to earn it. There's nothing you can do, but you can receive it. And you can trust the work that Christ has done on your behalf, right? You're either gonna pay for your sins by your own death, dying physically and dying spiritually, or you can trust in the death of one Christ who has provided it for you. Well, because of who Christ is, because of what he did, shedding his blood so that we can be brought into loving community, he forms the very basis, the very foundation of loving community, okay? 
This is super important for us to understand because we here at Lake Baldwin Church, the foundation of our loving community is not a political agenda. It's not a political party. It's not because we're in Orlando and we all have this affinity for the theme parks or the Orlando magic. It's, it's rooted in Christ himself. Verse 20 says this, built on the foundation, and it's talking about the household of God, this family, this church, this loving community, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone. Now, I know most of you here probably understand that, uh, what he's talking about there. You've seen the cornerstone on some of these old, old buildings, right? They don't do that uh, so much anymore. But I had the great privilege of going to Nicaragua maybe about uh, 10 years ago and being a part of a ceremony where we were laying the very first stone to what would become a church. And our scripture is saying that the first stone, the cornerstone for us is Christ, Okay? But also, I want you to see the importance of something else. Our scripture says the apostles and the prophets as well. And these are the guys through whom which God predominantly wrote the holy scriptures. And so I want you guys to get this concept. We are founded upon Christ, but we are guided by the word of God. The word of God shapes our mission. It shapes our values. It shapes our methods and how we do things here at Lake Baldwin Church. Well, let's look at this last point now. If we're brought into loving community, what's it like? What's it like being an insider to loving community? We see this in verses 14 and 16. Actually, we see it all the way to the end of, the, of, of those verses that we read this morning. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now there are a great many privileges of being in the family of God, being in this loving community. And if you read the rest of the verses, you're gonna see that we're a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. We're members of his household. We have access to the Father. We have peace. But I want to center and focus on, in on one thing alone, and that is the centrality of unity. In verse 14, it says, he has made us both. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, made us both one. And then in verse 15, he's saying he's made one new man or one new creation. And in, in 16, he references one body. But what does verse 15 mean by abolishing the law of commandments and the ordinances? And I'm gonna take you back to the very beginning when I was talking about the context, you remember? The Jews and the Gentiles, they were completely different, completely different, right? And the Jews had these things, these ordinances that regulated what they did, what they ate, who and how they worshiped, right? What they wore. Um, and so what, what's happening here in this verse is Christ has come and he's taking that obstacle that separated those two cultures and he's moving it out of the way. And why can Christ do that? He can do that because he is the fulfillment of what those things were pointing to. That we would need to be cleansed from our sins and that cleansing would come through a sacrifice, through the shedding of blood. 
And so what you see here in unity when we're talking about unity is, is Christ is taking that very different, radically different cultures of the Gentiles and the Jews, and he's making one new man, and that's what you see here at Lake Baldwin Church by the grace of God. He's taking a wide array of people, ages, different ages, different ethnicities, different political parties, and he's making one new beautiful creation. And you know what's important for unity? And think back to the, the baseball team. Uh, that I was on, it's identity, right? I was a part of a team that were called the Indians, and so we lived and breathed that. Well, our most fundamental and most important identity is not that we're Republicans or Democrats, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, or whatever you want to put, maybe you're a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher, those, those, are, those are secondary. Our most fundamental idea, identity is that we are in Christ. We are joined in him. And that's why we have unity. And now how important is this unity to us? How important is it to God? When, when Jesus was praying his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he says this, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. How important is it? Well, Jesus desired it earnestly, and he prayed for his disciples to have it, and he wants us to have it as a loving community. And note also in this scripture the connection between our witness to the world, our story that God is writing here at Lake Baldwin Church, and whether or not we have unity. Because if people hear that we are complaining against each other, grumbling about each other, grumbling about the church, what is it going to say about this loving community? Well, it's going to say it's not a loving community at all. Unity and uh, lack of division, that's, that's becoming a rare commodity in the world today. But imagine this. Imagine what would happen if Christ himself gathers together such a broad, broadly diverse group of people and unites us in him, what kind of story, what kind of message does that send to your neighbors and to the city of Orlando? Well, to close the message this morning, I want to talk about our call to action. And in order to do that, I want to go all the way back to the beginning to that word, remember, uh, remember. Uh, and yes, we've got this, but we need to be reminded. So if we remember that Christ is the foundation of our loving community, if we remember that it's him who brought us into loving community and not we ourselves, and he does this by the sacrifice of himself, the shedding of his blood, and he does this so that we can become a new creation, a new organization right here, I think if we remember this over and over again, I think we have a real shot here at Lake Baldwin Church of actually becoming a loving community. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Almighty God, Lord, we thank you that you have shed your grace upon us. Uh, we don't understand it because we were not deserving to be brought in. We, you were not obligated to go after us uh, because we had gone our own way. 
but in your grace and because of your rich mercy, you pursued us and you have brought us into loving community. And Lord, we give you thanks for that. And I pray for the one here who is still struggling, who is still searching, who is still wrestling with these ideas that forgiveness is costly. I pray that you would be at work in their heart, opening their heart up so that they may receive this free gift of life in Christ Jesus. I ask this in his precious name, amen.